You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. It's Wednesday, so it's time for Wayne on Wednesday with Wayne McCurry from FMB Wealth and Investment Portfolio Manager at that institution. Wayne, uh, I'm not giving things away here, but you went to the bush for a couple of days. And I must say, I always found it quite relaxing. I'm okay, you have to get up at half past five, six o'clock in the morning, you get given a, a cup of really awful coffee and a, a rusk or something, and you get into a bouncy Land Rover. But what you see over the next couple of hours is actually quite soothing, which is more than I can say for the markets at the moment. Yes, it is. I must say, it's a it's a very nice um, outing. We went to the genuine Kruger Parkway. We drove ourselves and made our own coffee. We didn't go the guided tour side. We drove around ourselves. So it was very much as you would have done in the 60s, 70s and 80s. Yeah. So you didn't go to one of these fancy places that charge you seven, eight thousand no, a no, night? No, no, Not at all. We went to the super cheap Pensioners discount during the week special. <laughs> I don't believe a word of that. But anyway, it's a nice image. That no, you've genuine. Just... Okay, a good. Friend, a friend of mine paid for it, and he's a pensioner, so you got all of the pensioners discounts. Mm. Uh, so, no, it was fantastic. We stayed in the little rondavels. Yes. So, um, as I said, it was very much like the 60s, uh, 60s and 70s and 80s experience and the Rondavals are exactly the same as what they were there. They haven't changed. But the but the, the, the product they give you is very good. I mean, you can see that certain things maybe aren't quite up to scratch. Right. Uh, you know, we, we hired two bungalows, so they're two two-person bungalows and there were four of us and you get all the catering equipment, the pots and pans and knives and forks and all that sort of stuff. And there was one teaspoon between the four of us. Oh, dear. And, you know, the kitchen utensils are a little tacky and the pots and pans are a little old and the little oven hob is a little wonky and the the, the fridge is, you know, it's seen better years and the microwaves put in the bedroom of all places. But it's still a good product they sell. We saw lots of animals. The park itself is phenomenally green. Uh, the roads are in better condition than our tar roads, yeah. You know, you don't have to dodge potholes there, even on the dirt. So the park is still well looked after, even if the facilities, and maybe it's just the camp we were in, because we went to another two other camps, and they looked in far better nick than our camps, so maybe our camps due for an upgrade. But it's still a good product, and it's a world-class product, and the animals you see are fantastic, and the whole outing really is good. Okay. I prefer to go in winter when all the greenery is gone, and so you can see the animals are better, but that's just me. But just to recap, you're not a sort of Londolozi, Singita, Mala Mala um, sort of person. You prefer no, the, the real experience. Them. Obviously, I... I have been to them, mm. and the nice thing about that particular experience mm. is that they know where the game is. Right. But also that is a little bit of a detraction because you know they're going to show you elephant, giraffe, rhino, lion, leopard, hippo, rhinoceros. 
because they've got them all in their farm yes. and they know exactly where they are. They are tracked every single day. Uh, in fact, some of the lions have even got tracking devices on them. So it's like so going they to know Disneyland exactly almost. Where to find the gate. Like, they, they try to make it sound exciting. Oh, we'll look for lion. I hope we get lion. I hope we find lion. You know, you never know. But, and you, you see the, when you go to the Londolosis and the fancy ones, mm. you know, you see the long-horned antelopes first. So you see the impala and the waterbuck, and then they sort of take you up the big five. And the last thing you always see before you get back to the camp is lion. So, I mean, it's, it's almost arranged for you on a plate. So that's nice because you do see lion. But the park is also nice because you can ride for four hours and see absolutely nothing. And as you despondent, you turn the corner, there's a leopard, there's an elephant. You know, it's a it's a, a potluck chance thing, but that has its own certain charm as well. Hmm. Okay, but anyway, you decompressed when you were there. You had you and um, the world's most famous rugby supporter and uh, another couple, and you had fun. Uh, we'll talk about the food that you had uh, later on, uh, but I want to talk about something when you came back, because you came back to a different world, Wayne. And I always wonder yes. about this. I always wonder about this. I say to myself, and I look at it in retrospect, and I say, okay, the US 10-year bond yield was 06 0.7%, and it goes up to over 4%. And everyone thinks, that's fine. It's bringing down inflation. It hasn't really done a very good job at the moment. But that's what it's supposed to do by raising interest yes. rates. And you think it to yourself... It increases the cost of capital. Exactly. The cost of capital goes shooting up by four times. Shooting and up. you think to yourself, yeah. okay, well, inflation is still up there. And was anyone really surprised that certain banks were going to suffer because of a 400% increase in interest rates? How could anyone not of see course, that? Yes. Exactly. So yes, what is your assessment exactly. of SVB, the other two banks, and now Credit Suisse? Please tell me. Well, it's exactly the same as the dot-com bubble. It's exactly the same as, as uh, you can even call it the tech bubble because quite a few tech shares has come off. It's the same as the financial services bubble. Yeah. It's the same as the building and construction bubble. It's the same as the platinum bubble. You know, when you're in a bubble, you're bulletproof. Nothing's going to go wrong. This is the new age. This is the new way that things are going to be. It's the new normal. You know, it's just going to carry on like this forever. So, you know, everyone's a genius in a bull market. And I think what happens is the players that get caught out just think they, they actually know this game. It's easy. You know, we top of the world, we're riding the crest of the wave here. Nothing can go wrong. So, you know, why must we hedge our interest rate exposure? People are throwing money at us. Exactly. You know, they, they're absolutely throwing money at us. So now we're investing that money into bonds. And what can go wrong? Why must we waste money putting in protection? Why must we buy put options? Why must we buy spread options? Why must we manage our interest rate risk? And then all of a sudden, the new normal becomes the abnormal and the old normal becomes the normal. And you caught out and you are absolutely destroyed. It happens every bull market and every time that bull market bursts. And you can take you as that other character, S SBF. Which one's Sam Bankman. Sam Bankman, Freed, isn't it? Freed, Freed, Fraud. 
the the the, the Bitcoin guy. Oh, him, from yes, the yes, yes. Yeah, he's well, he's in jail now. But, um, anyway, I mean, he was he was he was the new uh, J.P. Morgan. You know, he was also bulletproof. Nothing could go wrong. But of course, it does go wrong because cycles go and and we've spoken about this ad nauseum. What happened post the global financial crisis up until call it two years ago? That was abnormal. Incredibly low inflation and incredibly low interest rates. That was the abnormal. But it went on for so long, people started to accept that as being the normal and adjusting their business models and how they think and how they work and how they invest their money to that new normal. And of course, it's not the new normal. It was a complete aberration, quite frankly. It was a one in a hundred year aberration. And now we have, we are returning to normal, even though it's very bumpy. And the return to normal has been quick and frightening because inflation's gone up significantly more than anyone anticipated. But it will come down. It will come down to reasonable lengths. The, I mean, the Fed will increase interest rates maybe a quarter of a percent. But if inflation doesn't come down in the next month or two or three, they will increase it again. Yes, They will kill inflation. Inflation is enemy number one. So the only question should be not when do we hit the 2% target, it's how do we hit it? Have they done enough already or are they truly going to turn the taps on and just kill it? Because they, that that is absolutely utmost in their mind. So I see there's a lot of speculation nowadays about, oh, no, the banking system's a little bit wobbly. They might not increase interest rates. And they may not, but they're not going to increase interest rates because the banking system's a bit wobbly. They're not going to increase interest rates because they think inflation is under control. If they don't think inflation's under control, it doesn't matter what the wobbles are in the banking system. They will increase interest rates. They have to do that. Because that's their, that's their mandate, this, you see, Wayne. It's, it's, a very interesting, it's, it's a very interesting job. What they do is they go and, and the central bankers, I'm simplifying it, obviously, and cynically, what a central banker does is he sits around with a group of other very, very clever people and says, okay, interest rates um, need to be here because we've got to control inflation because it's there at the moment. And then they go and give a couple of speeches to Congress and um, they, they meet once or twice a month or something like that and talk about it. And then they get on with it. But unfortunately, that's not yes. the big picture. They live in a little bubble and there's a real world out there where people are, I mean, I'm looking at the crude oil price now, for example. Crude oil has gone from $130 per barrel to $74.78. So inflation, yeah, of course, collapsing. yeah, it's fallen in a heap. It's down 3.4% no, today. Yeah, and inflation will also be a bit of a lagger. I mean, we know that commodity prices are down quite sharply. Yes, they We are. know that food prices are down quite sharply. We know that the oil price is down quite sharply. Wages aren't down yet, but that's also a lagging indicator. So in other words, the fall in wages and the fall in inflation comes after all those other ones have already fallen. Yes. So I'm, I still maintain we are going to see a very quick fall in inflation in the second half of this year. Well, let's it'll start so. in April, but, the, but it'll truly start to fall. I mean, you can, you can already see the symptoms of it. I mean, the market ran up strongly 
Now it's a bit worried inflation isn't under control, so it's falling now. Uh, and it's been doing that since when? Mid-February mid sometime, somewhere around there. Yes. And it's actually going to give us another buying opportunity because I think inflation is going to fall and it's going to fall really, really strongly. So I think it's another buying opportunity that we're heading up for, especially in mining shares, as we've also discussed. But sit back. We're not at the bottom yet. So we'll just sit back and wait a little bit. Um, well, I don't understand, Wayne. Before you go on now, let's go on to another subject. Okay. Everyone knew that uh, this was going to happen, but it just it's just the timing that was the interesting thing. Credit Suisse. How can a bank that is so sort of highly revered, and when you think of Swiss and bank, you think, oh, security. You know, if I'm a robber yeah. or if I'm a, a gangster or something, I can put my money into a Swiss bank and they're very discreet and no one will know about it. So it's a very stable system. How can Credit Suisse fall 20 to 25%? How does that happen? It just doesn't seem right to me. Do these people not know? Does, somebody must have known about it. Somebody must have known that the Saudis were the biggest shareholders were, were pulling out and selling their shares. Can you honestly justify a fall of that amount in such a revered company? Tell me about it as an investor probably, yourself. Probably not, to be honest. But that doesn't mean the market won't do it. And there are so many examples uh, of where shares just get slaughtered and then six months later they're back again. In other words, the market will overreact both ways, up and down. Hmm. That's just what the market does. You okay. know, a um, classic case is a uh, classic case is transaction capital yesterday. It got slaughtered. I think it's down and today as well. Today again. It's down about sixty percent in two days. I mean, this is a very, very good company with quality management. At the moment, a terrible industry, but, you know, We Buy Cars is actually quite a good industry that, that they're in. Um, and the taxi industry, they're going to restructure it and sort it out. And they say earnings are going to fall 50% for one year. And then, you know, probably stabilize at that sort of level and yeah. pick up because we buy cars will still be profitable. I mean, this thing's down 15% today. It's down 40 yesterday, so it's down 65. I mean, but, that's big. But, but why so do you say it's a good a company total... with good management? Because it's not. I mean, it's a South African company exposed to the domestic market. And you've seen mining production figures yesterday, manufacturing production figures yesterday, retail sales figures today in South Africa, showing that the South African economy is not on its knees, but it's certainly buckling a little bit. And so people that invest yeah. in um, a company that falls 60% in two days, really, I mean, there's something wrong there. And I don't think it is good management. I don't think it is a good business either. Otherwise, it oh, wouldn't look, be I've, what I've it is. Yeah, go on. I've met management there many times, and I'm quite impressed with them. But, I mean, of course, we'll see whether they can recover from this. Absolutely. I mean, just remember, this share price is down from 46 rand a day at the peak. Yeah. In fact, it was 50 rand. 50, sorry, sorry, not 46. It was 50 it was plus, 50 yeah. Rand. Mm. Yeah, 51 rand somewhere around there. Right. You know, and it's down to 15, you know. So, look, we don't own any of the shares. Thank goodness for that. Yes. But aren't we heading for a buying opportunity? Well, if you believe in I the mean, South African economy and the, and the taxi um, e economy as well and the uh, used car buying yeah. economy, yes, but look, they don't seem very, very interesting to, to me. 
those economies. They are going to restructure the taxi story, and mm. taxis aren't disappearing. Eh? No, Just never. The current model's not not making money. So they've got to come up with a new model that makes money, which essentially means they've got to give out fewer loans so they get less bad debts and they've got to get rid of some of the businesses. So is there relief for the taxi industry into the future? Interest rates aren't staying at this level forever. They will fall. So there's some relief. And, you know, as you quite correctly said, well, you know what, just to change subject very slightly, I mean, the RAND, I know it's weaker today. Yes. But, you know, it's been sitting between 1810, 1820, and 1830, 1840 through this whole banking crisis. So let's just leave the RAND where it is now. But with Brent clued at 74, there's some relief at the pump, so. And, you know, it, it seems astonishing, um, as you quite correctly said, Brent was 125, 130, not that long ago. Long you know, ago. It was the end no. of 2022. Right. And I still said at the time, and lucky enough, I'm proven to be right so far, hmm. I still said, listen, there's a recession on the way, interest rates are going up, well, not a recession, an economic slowdown on the way, hmm. interest rates are going up, it will pinch the consumer, it will pinch the economy, the next stop for oil, oil is in the 70s. You know, I was ridiculed on, on more than one occasion. How can you say that the Saudis are controlling production? They're limiting the amount of oil going onto the market. We've got the whole war. Then a year later, we've got the whole war in the Ukraine. We've got all this other nonsense happening, uh, et cetera, et cetera. What's happened? Oil's gone to 70 because the price of commodities – mainly is determined by demand, not by supply. It's a demand. It's, it's really most of the time. So you mean the, 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 anticipation of, the anticipation of a recession worldwide is already uh, alerting the uh, market participants in commodities, and they say, yeah, okay, the we've up. got to get this done. I think oil goes to more like 50 to 60 rather than 70 to 75. Personally. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know about that. Mm. Be, look, it may well do that, but honestly, I don't think that's a sustainable price, because all the oil producers probably need sixty bucks to balance their books. Yes. Look, Saudi can Saudi can mine oil at five dollars a barrel. You know, Russia can mine oil can get oil out at eight dollars a barrel. You know, the frackers in America can get it out at $45 a barrel. You know, Sassel can probably get it out at $38 a barrel. But that's just the cost of getting the oil out the ground. Especially countries like Russia and Saudi Arabia, they need a far higher amount to balance their books because they are oil. I mean, the, the, the economy runs on oil. And they need probably $55 to $60 to balance it. So it may well go into the 50s, but it's not going to stay there because nothing restricts supply than making a loss. Exactly. If they can you, close you down just quickly. Won't, you just you can close those taps so quickly. So in the next six months, it may well go into 50, but that's not a sustainable price. But let's not talk about current circumstances too much. We should always look try and anticipate the future. If our market continues falling, and especially especially the, the mining shares, I mean, the mining shares have taken the biggest pain so far, as they were the biggest participants in the up in, in the up cycle, 
So the upcycle started October last year. Yes. And the mining shares went, this is now the index went from 60,000 to 80,000. Okay, so that's a that's a 30% move. Man, this thing's back at 62,000, eh? Yes. These mining shares are almost where they were before the big, the big, the big rally. So, if my current thesis proves to be correct, and we'll only know in two, three years' time, <laughs> mining shares are going to be the best performers off this base. And the next thing we should be doing as investors is buying mining shares. When you say I mining shares, you see, there's, there's mining shares and there's mining shares. I like the platinum yeah, the, group metals, uh, the gold shares. I also like BGMs. They're, 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 far, no, too, they're far too volatile. The diversified miners, yeah. maybe, but PGMs is number one. Diversified miners, number two. Gold shares, I mean, look what they've done in the last week. Well, they've gone through the roof. Uh, but um, I, I, They've I gone stick through the roof, P but that's what gold does. Yeah. So PGMs it is. I think PGMs is number one. Those shares have fallen hugely. Precipitously. You know, if you look... If you they have fallen like you cannot believe. So let's take a, let's take Anglos, not Anglo Plat, let's take Anglos as a company because obviously they got big platinum exposure, they got copper, they got everything else, and everything's fallen. Right. Everything's falling at the moment. So they touched eight hundred Rand, they're now five hundred and sixty Rand. Let's Good let's Lord. have a look now. I'm just going to go here. Let's get the let's get the 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 real ones that are that have fallen enormously. Just wait one second for my computer. Yeah, probably not Northern's, but Impala's hasn't hasn't done very well. Uh, but maybe Northern's. No, 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 no. But okay, let's take let's take Amplats. Okay, Anglo-American Platinum. That's the one. I just got to wait for it to come up here quickly. Right. But anyway, okay. it's, it's 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 just it's, this thing peaked at this thing peaked <laughs> at two thousand five hundred. It's now nine hundred and sixty-six. And I mean, that is just massive. So let's take Impala now. Mm -hmm. uh, Impala. So from 2,500 to where did you say it was now? 900? 966, yeah. Okay, so it's going to be thousands Impala's peaked at 300 is now 167. Right, so more than now, half. Let's, let's put, let's put Impala apart now. Put Impala to the side and talk Amplats. I've always had a bit of a rule of thumb, a bit of a thesis on Amplats. Yes. If you buy the share below a thousand, in two years' time, three years' time, you're very happy. So I think these platinum shares have already hit buying territory. It doesn't mean they can't fall more, because when the sentiment's against them, it's against them. But from a pure valuation viewpoint, I mean these shares, these shares are actually cheaper. I mean, Anglo-American Platinum, and I know the earnings are going to come down. I mean, obviously the earnings are going to come down. But the historic P.E. ratio is five. The earnings can half, and then it goes to 10. And the earnings can fall by 75%, and it goes to 15. So in other words, at the trough of earnings, you're going to get maybe a 10 to 15 price earnings ratio at the, at the trough of earnings. Yes. That is phenomenal. So actually, the market's been quite accurate in pricing these shares. At the peak of earnings, they put a five PE on the company, and that's right. But at the trough of earnings, you must put a fifteen PE on the company. 
So I think the platinum shares are already in buying territory. Stop buying the platinum shares. And that's what you say. I don't know if you're doing it, but that's what yes, you say. No, no, and I, I say they're in buying, but they're going, to, they're going to fall some more first because the sentiment is totally against them. I okay. mean, this morning when we woke up, mm -hmm. everything was great. The futures were up. Everything was hunkies. Now, all of a sudden, all the same fears have come up now again, and everything's down. You know, we're down 2.5%. The overseas Horrible. markets are down between one and a half and two percent last time I looked. Yeah, it's a, it's a nasty yeah. time. Now, how do you behave now, Wayne? Because you've been a very great and very enthusiastic uh, performer of banks in South Africa. Yes. And they, of course, have been unfairly treated because of what's happening with banks overseas, you know, Credit Suisse, SVB, Signature, yeah. a couple of other banks as well. This is a buying opportunity, surely. I would think so, but now let's just take okay, let's take the banks and compare it to the mining shares. Hmm. The banks in October rallied until November, rallied for a month, then they fell right back and they're exactly where they were now in October. So they actually haven't done anything since October. The mining shares went up thirty percent and then minus thirty because they're also where they were in October. You know, so the banks actually haven't done too bad. You know, they've done exactly the same as mining shares. Just mining shares went up massively and now have come down again. So the the market in total, whether it's I still prefer mining, but the banks I think you can throw in there as well. Okay. The market's heading for a buying opportunity because my central thesis, remember we spoke about this. I'm just diverging slightly. We spoke about this in January, February. We said this market's run too hard. And that specifically, we said the mining shares were too expensive. And that's exactly what's actually happening now. But the central thesis of falling inflation and falling interest rates at the end of this year, I think, is firmly in place, if not actually amplified. Okay, and so what you're saying right, is that this is the biggest buying opportunity buy. you might see. You may not get the bottom. Nobody gets the bottom, not even Rothschild. Um, but um, the point is you've got to start accumulating now because everyone's panicking about Credit Suisse and SVB yes. and all sorts of other things and geopolitics and Russian missiles and U.S. drones and that sort of thing. So what you've got to do now yeah. is just if you've got the long pockets, you sit down and you say, okay, let's be logical and, start, and start to yeah. nibble away. Okay. Speaking of nibbling away, Wayne, when I came to South Africa and uh, went to South Africa in 1988, uh, the first place I went to was Londolozi. I was invited there. And, um, you know, I, I sat around and I couldn't believe it. I mean, the, the, the nearest I'd got to seeing a leopard was my uh, domestic cat called Pippi, yeah. who has sadly passed away. But uh, the point is that we went to a boma every evening and had food. And I had warthog with cherry sauce, and it was amazing. Just the food, when you're out in the open, it just tastes so good. And you had uh, yeah. you know, baked potatoes and uh, mealies and, and everything else. What did you have in the bush when you were there last week? Look, I will be honest to say I'm not a big game game fan. I, I never have been. My son-in-law loves games. Games on the menu, you will eat it every time. Okay. But I don't particularly like game. So we didn't have any exotic kudu or warthog or... Crocodiles. Crocodile or anything like that. But we nevertheless had very good food. And I'm not going to talk about the food that we cooked ourselves because mm. we cooked three of the four nights. Right. We talk about the food at the restaurant. Now, there's one restaurant in all the Kruger, not 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 in all the parks, but there's one restaurant franchise that's in most of the parks, uh, of the actual camps. Yes, and uh, they've got uh, they've got a monopoly. 
<coughs> and I can remember going to the Kruger Park 10, 15 years ago and eating in one of the restaurants and vowing never to eat in the restaurants again because the food was truly substandard. It, it wasn't nice at all. Mm-hmm. So this time we decided we had a lunch there and we had a dinner and I must compliment them. They've upped their game. Food was really, really nice with a fairly good selection. So between the four of us at lunchtime, we had a toasted, we had two toasted sandwiches, chicken wings and peri-peri chicken livers because we weren't that hungry. We just had a little snack and they were delicious. And then at dinner, between all of us, we had a steak, we had another toasted sandwich and hamburgers and they were they were really good. So I must compliment them. <coughs> Certainly in the camp I was in, the restaurant's food is, is, is actually quite good at a reasonable price. Whereas certainly I can remember, as I said a decade ago, vowing never to eat at those restaurants again. But wait a second, Wayne. They had I mean, a monopoly, you can, I mean, so they just. It sounds like going to a corner shop or something in Johannesburg. You had toasted sandwiches and, and chicken wings. You're in the bush, for yeah. goodness sake. Get more exotic. I mean, you said they've upped no, their look, game, but literally said, they had game. upped their they, game they because it was game. toasted sandwiches. They had game, but I don't like it. I, I, I Why don't not? Like it. So I was just talking, uh, it's, it's, it's too gamey. <laughs> okay. That's a, good, that's a very good answer, I must admit. But don't you find the exotic sort of earthiness of that of that game with a little bit of a sweet sauce, like a cherry nah. sauce with the warthog, doesn't nah, do look, I was I was a bit, as most of us do, you've got certain carryovers from your youth. My dad saw himself as a bit of the great hunter, you know? Oh, yeah even though he didn't actually hunt all that much and he didn't own a, own a rifle, but he got invited on quite a few occasions to a friend's farm in Kimberley for the annual shoot. And then he'll come back with guinea fowl, many of them with springbuck, uh, either half a springbuck or a old springbuck. And once he decided he was going to slaughter the springbuck and just about cut his whole finger off. Okay. Um, but anyway, so for, the next month or so after the big shoot, the big hunt, El mm. Ori Chad was kudu or springbuck or guinea fowl. And I just didn't like it. So it's a bit of a psychological hangover. I it's like with your mother and the stews. Yeah, it's the same with your mother, really right? Because like. your mother yeah. used to cook you stew or something and you hated it. That, yeah, well, look, I, I must admit my mother and my father had many, many positive attributes. Mm-hmm. But one thing that wasn't good at home was the chow. <laughs> yeah. uh, it wasn't Sorry. good. Sorry. Uh, Nervous laugh. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so yeah. well, you've made up for it since then. One thing I want to say before, yes. we, before we leave this is I was clearing out a box, a couple of boxes actually, the other day and putting it in my bookshelf and I had maybe about 25, 30 cookbooks and I look at them all and I think, how many times sure. have I used these? And to be yeah. honest with you, <laughs> maybe once each but if you look through them i could probably for the next uh, four and a half to five years cook a different meal every cook single night every but, day but yeah. exactly but i'm i'm getting to the point where i'm like you where you like your chicken livers your peri peri ch- and uh, chicken yeah, wings I, I, you like I, I your steak say, yeah but you 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 wouldn't i, wouldn't I, I don't say know I'm how many a boring eater well but I, I, but i probably am a boring eater now the only problem with cookbooks mm. is that unless you are really a foodie, mm. you haven't got those ingredients in your kitchen. Well, this is the thing. And the idea of going out, buying 
a big box of something or a big packet of something and using three pinches of it for this one recipe. But now lots of people have counted that now. There's a bunch in, in, yeah, in Joburg, I forget their name, but I've actually got their product quite often. They give you meal in a box. Mm. So this box is delivered at three o'clock in the afternoon. Yes. And it contains absolutely everything you need to cook that particular. I bought, a, I think it was a Penang curry the last time, but I bought quite a few. And you you can choose from the menu. So you can say, I want this, I want that, I want that. They had coronation chicken the once. And you choose. And then this box arrives. All your meats in there. All your ingredients are in there. All your specials. All your cut shallots and chopped whatever. And your kimchi. And all the exotica. Bok, whatever. With instructions as well, I would hope. With, uh, with the menu, with, with, with the recipe and uh, instructions. Okay, very and good. And they're all measured out to the right quantity. So good. you just chuck it in, follow the follow the recipe, chuck it in, cook it up, and that's fantastic. And I really think that's a good product. And I have used it quite a few times when you feel like something totally different. We've also got the cookbooks at home. Not that many, to be honest. Mm. But I've never seen a cookbook opened. You know, the last time what, we opened the cookbook was when I went through my beef stroganoff phase. Yes, you told me that, yeah. The first cookbook I ever bought was Jamie Oliver, The Naked Chef, and it was all simple. And yes. I looked at the ingredients, and I could go to the supermarket and buy those ingredients. But then I yes. started getting fancy and buying Yotam Ottolenghi's um, cookbooks, of which now I have four, <laughs> uh, two of which were bought yeah. for me and two of which but, I, mean, I bought myself. But it's, it's 27 it. ingredients in every recipe. I yeah, don't know what these things are. Mm. But, I mean, cookbooks are nice to read. When I'm in the airlines, when you still used to get the airline magazine because all of it's online now, Oh yeah. You get, I used to like reading the recipes. Mm. It's, it's quite fun just to read them and imagine, oh, that'll taste nice and this <laughs> looks interesting. So cookbooks are books, you know. They're nice to page. You yes, don't even have to... Now, now, my daughter is a complete food foodie. Okay. She will have all of those ingredients in her kitchen. But then again, she works for Jamie Oliver. Oh, I see. Yeah, you told me that as well. Yes, fantastic. Yeah. Not in the cooking side, but she works for him. Okay. What about the um, partner, the rugby fan? Does she cook? I, I'm, I'm, lowering, yes, yes, I'm yes. lowering my voice here because I don't want to offend her. Yeah. But she likes cooking. No, no, she cooks. I mean, we do share, but she does the lion's share of cooking. Mm. And we eat Good food, but relatively simple. Mm. So we don't have a thousand ingredients. Yeah, exactly right. So don't buy a Yotam Ottolenghi book for her for yeah. her birthday or for Christmas. Wayne, thank you very much for your time as always. Uh, Wayne yeah. McCurry is from FNB Wealth and Investment, and that was Wayne on Wednesday. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organization, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.